Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. I do want to tie it up now for us all. Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's remember then this mystical gospel. We can put that slide up and just remind ourselves of the fact that we pray, Lord, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and then we preach a mystical gospel and live a mystical gospel in many ways. And remember the consequences of that. Um, remember the picture I showed you, if we can pull that up, of the consequences of a mystical gospel and the, the poor impact it had on a village over 100 years. Um, and eventually the building fell down, which means that the building had been used on a Sunday for services to continue this mystical gospel, try to get people to behave properly and uh, morally and probably didn't, um, but never touched real life. And so real life passed them by, the blessings of God passed them by, and this golden thread that should have fed blessing to them missed them entirely because the mystical gospel does not include the fact that every area of life is touched by what Jesus talks about and wants us to know. And so the next picture... Uh, that, that, was, that was the, uh, the result we, we had and, and was very rewarding indeed. But the next one from Nigeria, we, uh, as some of you will know, are involved, uh, and I'm personally very involved with World Mission Center, and we have a mission school called the Live School, which is now, uh, there are over 3,000 of those schools uh, worldwide, and, uh, and one of the areas in which it's impacting is is in Nigeria uh, and the whole of West Africa. Um, and Farming God's Way was part of the training that was added onto the end of what is a biblical training program to take someone from a grade six education all the way through to uh, being able to be a church planter. Um, not just in a rural community, but it was, it was aimed at people whose lives were uh, in, in villages, and we're probably going to meet under a tree to get their training and whatever else. And so it's a, it's a video course that uh, is 242 hours long, and at the end of that, we have added this farming gods where I was talking about. Next picture. And there are some of the Nigerians receiving their, or, or holding on to their books uh, that teach them how to do farming gods way. We never actually went there to train them. They were in Benin. We uh, we went there and I, I took uh, Grant Dryden with me and he did the training on, uh, on the farming gods where I did biblical worldview for them. And they went back home and the next picture will show you what happened. Um, it's just, it's a phenomenal story. We looked at that and I just shook my head because all that changed was what happened between the guy's ears. <laughs> That's all. That's all that changed. He suddenly saw that he could do something, he could make a difference. Because our big problem is that approximately one out of every of those live schools, there's a, there's a new church plant. It's often a you know, church in the house, or sometimes they grow bigger, but it's a, you know, it's a group of people who get together and start a church. And so uh, as a result of starting that church, you end up with somebody who becomes the pastor, but there's no way of supporting the church. And so we put Farming God's Way in there, and now they can use farming God's way, and they are producing crops. Uh, most amazing stories. I, don't, I haven't got time to go into all the stories, but it's, it is phenomenal. Next picture. Uh, and you'll see how big his crop, his crop is. And, um, and Joseph was one of the guys who came to Benin and, uh, and attended the course. And that's all. He just, he just had the teaching, just got the, the revelation of, I can make a difference. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. 
I don't have to be subject to. I'm not waiting for the rain. I'm waiting for the rain gods. I don't have to worry about the ancestors. Okay, next one. And uh, that was the farming God's way uh, picture. He did it with absolute excellence. Labeled what he'd done. Next one. Um, and I mean, just look at it. Yeah. I think those are squash, aren't they? Or cucumbers. Cucumbers. That's serious cucumbers. Next one. Um, yeah. But, but doesn't that speak of a God of abundance? Um, of a God who can turn one kernel of corn into thousands and do it over and over and increase and bring abundance. Um, that's the God we serve. Or serve. So, so that was the lesson he learned. Now, we have back home also a real problem with people who, uh, and this is a worldwide phenomenon, people who are waiting for somebody to give them something or hand, you know, get a handout from somewhere and have given up on life. I remember going to Australia once, and we were chatting to, in fact, to Tony Fitzgerald's sister who works there with, with the Salvation Army. And she said there are people in Melbourne that she deals with who for three generations have never done a day's work in their lives. They live on the dole, and they are absolutely determined to do that for the rest of life. So they, do, they have kids and multiply out, and they all just live on the dole. Nobody has ever a day's work. It's not their worldview to work. <laughs> and so this problem exists you know, across cultures, but back home we have a real problem because people have just given up. They, they feel like there is no hope, and because they are fatalistic and there's a sense of, you know, the gods are against me, or the ancestors are against me, they, they give up. And Ina uh, Richards, who happens to be a cousin of ours, joined our, our church uh, some years back and felt that, and, and this is important, I'm going to tell you a story because she felt that she should get involved in something. I, I had said to the church, I felt, you know, in my whole journey through these things, I felt God had said to me at a point, you need to give the church back to the people. And it wasn't the government of the church, but it was the ministry. And I said to the folk, I feel like God says to you, I, I was very strong about it, I said, the Lord says to you, I, said to me, I need to give the church back to the people, and I'm giving it back to you. I'm giving you the ministry. Now, you better go to the Lord and hear what he asks you to do, and then get on and do it. So she, she did that. She started off and felt that she would get involved in counseling of, uh, of women who'd been abused. Uh, there was a ministry that we had called Bet Shakum, and so she started getting involved there and realized before too long that she was absolutely hopeless at it. She didn't like it and didn't enjoy enjoy what she was doing. But she knew she was a business person. She was a businesswoman, and she'd been trained in that. She'd been in advertising. And so, so she decided she would begin to teach people when she heard this whole biblical worldview understanding, she decided she was going to help people who had given up hope, who didn't know that they could change their lives, and that they would be able to make a difference um, by teaching them a biblical worldview and then training them. And her course by and large, has been 12 working days, and there have now been thousands of young people from uh, some of the squatter camps around us that have been trained through this to see their lives through the eyes of Scripture. And something like 40 to 50% of them get born again in the process because they've never had the gospel preached. They then, they're, they're baptized part of the, the whole deal. But there, one of our latest stories is a young man uh, who has become the, the youngest manager of a particular uh, store chain, uh, you know, uh, grocery store chain in South Africa, the youngest manager ever, and he comes straight out of the squatter camp. Um, and so we, we, we're able then to simply changing the way people think uh, he, he got into, he got a job, and coming out of that now, uh, there are large companies in, in our city that will not take employees until they've been through, through uh, work for a living. So, so there, are, there are amazing things that happen when we start getting hold of the understanding that, that Jesus has given us, you know, um, 
the, the way of, uh, of changing life and of making a difference. So, so Ina did a, she did a, a survey of people. She just went, they, they wait on the side of the road in, in, you know, hoping that someone will come and pick them up and they'll get a you know, construction job or something for a day or two or whatever. And so they, they lie around on the pavements waiting for somebody to pick them up. And so she went in and surveyed them. And the unemployed folks said this. They said, I'm waiting for the government to give me a job. That's a worldview. Now, that's propagated by our government, by the way. It's a worldview. Um, so, so there's nothing I can do because the government's doing nothing about it. Number, sec number two, there, there are no jobs. So there's actually no point in looking. The, the, the idea that I might actually be able to start a job myself does not exist. And that's a worldview. Okay? I, I don't even know how to find a job. And employers, on the other hand, the employers are saying this. These are now people who are running businesses and shops and so on. So I, I can't find honest and reliable staff. One of them said, you know, if I want ca 20 cashiers on a Saturday morning, I have to employ 40 people just to get 20 to come to work because that's the level of work ethic. Um, I can't find people who take pride in their work. We spend our time recruiting and training instead of development. People come and go all the time. And so work for a living, which is solidly biblical, is having a massive impact. We had a huge strike in one of the platinum mines some years back, and they decided that they were, they'd heard about, farm, about uh, work for a living, and they came to Ian and said, would you, you know, would you allow us to train our people, our miners, with this? And, um, and Ina said, sure, of course. They said, we just want one thing. We want you to take this God thing out of there. <laughs> and Ina just said to them, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not going to work. Because <laughs> it doesn't work without Jesus. So uh, if we can put up that sign, if you ever want to, there's a great website and lots of videos that, that have been done. You can, you can, you know, you'll see it on Work for a Living and you can download it or, or, you know, have a look at the website or whatever. All right, moving on then, let's just look at another, another thought that Landa Cope had. Um, she, having been challenged now by the Lord, obviously, in this whole area of what does your Christianity mean and how, how has it impacted life? The Lord said to her, uh, she was on a road trip she said from the east to the west, uh, east coast to west coast. She was on her way to California. And, uh, and the Lord said to you, you need to take different colored crayons um, and color in the scriptures that speak about particular things. And she had nine different things that she looked at. And we'll, we'll look at them in, in greater detail shortly. But uh, she, she said, for example, she used green for the greenback dollar. So every time the scripture spoke about money, she colored it in in green. When it spoke about the ecclesiastical order or the church or the, in the Old Testament, whatever it applied, she, she put it in purple. And so she had her different colors, and she said it was the most trying and difficult thing she has ever done. But she realized that it's almost like going around the mountain where God would speak about business and just say a few words here, and you'd keep on reading the story and then You'd come and God would say something about business over there. And you never found chapter and verse that you could say everything about business is in such and such a book in such and such a place. You had to have read the whole book. But God spoke about every aspect of life in different places through Scripture. And she underlined it. Um, and she wrote a book which you can download. I think it's still free of, free of charge on the Internet. It's called OT Template, Old Testament Old Testament template. And what the understanding is this, a template is a pattern. And there is a pattern in the Old Testament, which if you flip it over and apply it onto your life, will give you the template for how your life should be lived, the pattern for, for how you live life and how things should be done. And so it's, it's a fascinating book. It's, worth, it's really worth looking at. Um, and... We have to ask ourselves the question then, if, if God's given us all of the answers and this 
promise that we will be the blessing to the nations. And, and everything that I've said in terms of a worldview that changes the way things are, if it hasn't worked, then here are the three options. Number one, if we as Christians are not making a difference on earth, then there's no God, number one. The, the world has to make that conclusion um, if we don't. Or secondly, there's a God, but his word is not true. Or just maybe Christians are not applying the truth properly. And I think we'll all settle for the last one quite happily. Because the truth is that the truth will set us free. <laughs> and Jesus has given us the answer. So, to the largest refugee camp in the history of the world up until... Um, I think Syria, the Syrians fled their country recently. But up until then, the largest refugee camp in the history of the world was the Jewish nation fleeing out of Egypt. And uh, they'd all been slaves, and God said to them through Moses, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Interesting statement. I'm going to make you a great nation. Um, and, and these following things were not known to Israel. Bear in mind, they were slaves. They probably knew very little about how life worked because most of the time, most of them would have been spending making bricks for Pharaoh, or serving Pharaoh, and eating rations. Um, and so to, to that nation, as they escaped out of Egypt, he said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. But when they left and they got into the desert, or into the, you know, the, um, in the wilderness, they, they didn't have these things. They didn't have schools. They didn't have, they didn't have government or economy or land ownership. They knew no, nothing about those things. Uh, they didn't know about, you know, they didn't have an army. They never had a health system. They never had an industry. Uh, they didn't have any agriculture. They, they certainly in the wilderness never planted a seed. Um, there was no religious system as such, no welfare, no work ethic, and those social systems. So to that group of people, which has been estimated to be something like 2.7 million people, I mean, it's just an enormous number if you think about it. The Lord says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and they're heading off into the wilderness, um, <laughs> and there's nothing there. And now everybody dies off. So anybody who knew anything and was able to teach their kids how to do anything they were no longer there. They'd all died. And during that time, their clothes never wore out, that's what the word said, and their shoes never wore out, and they never had to cook a meal or grow any food. They just picked up the manna, and once a week they got their meat. <laughs> and it sounds like heaven, but they were in the most hostile of environments. Um, we, we've been down south in Israel. It is frighteningly hostile. And when they needed water, Moses beat the rock. Uh, and he should have spoken to it once and did, ended up not being able to get into the promised land. So, so it was a rough life. And they finally get to the point where they're going to cross over into the, into the land of Israel, the land of milk and honey. And as they stand on the edge, and, and now Joshua has taken over from Moses, and the Lord says to them now, you know, you need to step into the water and cross over. But just, just be reminded, when you cross over, there's not going to be any manna anymore. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to pick your own food, and then you're going to have to grow your own food. Um, and, and the clothes, by the way, they're going to start wearing out, as are the shoes. And the miracles that you've been living in, they're going to change. But don't worry, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And that's the key of what I'm, I'm trying to say, is what was it that made, it, made them into a great nation? How did they become a great nation? And the answer is this. They were given, before they went across, a set of, for them, what were laws of life. How to wash your hands so that you don't have germs. You know, germs only were discovered not long ago. The surgeon that, one of the surgeons that trained me when I was training as a doctor, he, he said that the surgeon who trained the surgeon who trained him used to sharpen his scalpel on his boot 
because he poo-pooed the idea that there might possibly be germs. Three generations back. <laughs> uh, so when the Lord said, wash your hands with running water, it's running water that doesn't have the bugs in it because it hasn't been lying around. And so there's so many of those principles in there. And God said to Moses, just write these all down. And before they go across, these are the rules. Just tell, this is how you live. This is how it's going to work. It's not about the law and obeying the law, except that the Jews obviously took it to that level, and it's now become very legalistic. But the principles in there were designed to protect them from, from that which was negative in life and to grant them a life of fullness. And so they crossed over. How, how did God do it? This is, this is how he did it, Deuteronomy 30, verse 16. He says, For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. As we said, not just hearing, but doing, walking in the ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter and occupy. Not, in, not only they would be blessed, but the land would be blessed. Why? Because they were following God's way. They were living by a biblical worldview in our understanding of what we're talking about here. And so they stand on the edge of the, of the, of the Jordan and they cross over. And from the moment they crossed over, everything changed. And so we, we, must, we must ask the question, what was it then that, that happened? Well, God took them from the place of miracles to the place of principles. And that we, we need to understand. And so we have to ask ourselves, if we want to live by miracles, because there's such an, there is such an overemphasis on our Christian walks to walk by miracles, but isn't it better to not ever need a miracle? Because if you live by the principle, which is what they did in Israel, they didn't get the miracle. But if you want to live by miracles, then you better go and live in the desert. That's the bottom line. Um, and, I, and I say that to folk respectfully, but particularly uh, in places like Africa where everybody's looking for a miracle, but they're not living by the principles. Because if you live by the principles, and there are many in Scripture speaking into every area of life, and as we live by them, and you will be living by many of them without even knowing that you are, because that's the worldview that you've been privileged enough to grow up in. It's not perfect, but it's much better than most of the world has. In Deuteronomy 11, 19 says this. Moses said to them, so teach them. Teach these principles to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road. When you're going to bed and when you're getting up. What does that mean? It means that the principles of God have to be deeply, deeply inculcated into us from the time we can understand. And when you get up in the morning, it's God's word is it's changing life for you. When you're walking on the road, when you're taking the kids to school, whatever it is that we're doing, we're constantly living out and explaining and imparting God's word. And that is discipleship. That is simply discipleship. And in that lies the blessing for the nations. Because the, the blessing comes through living the principles, not through some airy-fairy stuff. As much as I, I believe in miracles, and as many, as many, you know, I've seen many, we've seen miracle healings, we've seen the thing, but you only need a miracle healing when you didn't look after yourself properly. <laughs> or something else has gone wrong. And if, something go, if something's gone wrong because we're living in a fallen world, we will need a miracle. But that's like going back into the desert. And at that stage, you do need one. And so we cry out to God for one, and God is gracious. We've seen many miracles. But there's a better way, and that is to live by the principles. And if all societies and nations understood that and we discipled them in God's ways, then, as I said to you last night or the night before, Africa, because it has most of the potential and most of the raw materials that are needed everyone, as, uh, as I said, she, she would lead the world because that's, the wealth is there. It's just been squandered. 
want to show you another picture. This is a little island off the Kenyan coast. It's called Faza Island. And um, I just, I'm sh showing it to you just because it's just a lovely story. Those islands were inhabited by predominantly Arabs who'd come down the coast from the north and then settled on the, on the coastal areas of Kenya, Zanzibar and so on. And Faza is one of those islands. You can only get to it by boat. But we have a, and it's Muslim. It's a, it's a Muslim stronghold. Uh, but we have a preschool there. Um, <laughs> amazing story with, um, if you can take the next, just show us the next picture, with a whole bunch of little kids who come out of Muslim homes but are being taught a biblical worldview <laughs> in a preschool. <laughs> and the moms and dads are not so sure about what's going on, but they're very happy with the school because they're teaching them well, but they're also going home singing choruses. Um, <laughs> and the next picture, and, I, and I'm showing this, oh, that's the, the, the principal and, the, and one of the teachers there. It's a small little preschool. Um, next one. Uh, is this one of the Muslim mamas, the, 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 the mommy who had kids in the school? And she, she was there and she said to me, take my, take my picture. She said, because I want you to show this picture all over the world. I, I wish you could be here tonight and just, just know that I've, I've done what she asked me to do. She said, please take my picture and show, show people all over, over the world and tell them that there are three preschools on this island. But this is the best. <laughs> and I just think to myself, God, what an opportunity. What an incredible moment to be able to impact young children with a biblical worldview and raise them for the, for the Lord. So can, can we leave behind us a better world? I remember, you know, in, in the early days when I took over as the senior pastor back home, I, I stood one day and I felt God gave me a prophetic word and I, and I'm, you know, you sometimes make these statements and I said, I believe that we as a church are going to leave behind a different continent, a better continent than we came into better city that we came into and a better, better world than we came into. Um, and I went home and I thought to myself, my goodness, but you're an idiot. How can you possibly have said that? How are you going to change a continent? And I want to tell you just a brief story quickly. It has to do with, with Bev's husband, Gavin. Um, we, we, Gavin was part of our team back home in the eldership and part of my, my steering team, and he was the principal of our, of our school, um, a normal uh, school for students, for children. Um, and he led that school with excellence for many years and then got called to um, the Association of Christian, Christian Schools International, and that's what he's doing now. But, but we all, we walked some of this journey together in terms of trying to work out what is a biblical worldview and how do you, how do you teach that. And Gavin began to start um, teachers' organizations with ACSI across Africa. And one of the nations he went into was the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And the bishop there um, of the Protestant churches is appointed by 65 different Protestant denominations to, to be the kind of figure who would lead the Protestant churches on behalf of those churches. But his job, one of his jobs, is to establish the curriculum for the schools. And um, the government, strangely enough, in the DRC pays for the schools, pays the teachers, pays for the buildings, does everything, they just don't do the curriculum. I mean, what an opportunity. But the bishop didn't have a clue what to do. And one day Gavin appeared <laughs> visiting the DRC, and Gavin said to um, Gavin said to him, you know, this is this is what we do. And he's and he said, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you to come. Um, and so Gavin had the privilege then of establishing what they called the Elephant Project. Um, and this bishop said, it's desperate. We need to, we need, this thing needs to happen. What, how are we going to do it? And, um, and Gavin said, well, you know, it's like, it's like eating an elephant. It's kind of just one bite at a time. And the bishop said to him, yes, but you don't understand. We don't have refrigerators here. You've got to eat it up fast. <laughs> And so, um, and so the Elephant Project began. I hope I got my figures right. I know they are under 
what I heard subsequently. So I'm not going to exaggerate when I say there were a minimum of 4,500 schools of these Protestant schools with some of them 1,000 children in the schools. Something like 17 and a half million kids who now get a biblical worldview curriculum. And can you imagine you change 17 and a half million kids and generations who follow what the impact can be in a nation that's in chaos? There's great hope because of the gospel of the kingdom. <laughs> great hope indeed. chatting to Gavin the other day, and he gave me a couple of slides I want to show you. Just he, he put these together in terms of what one would teach to seventh graders, um, which he'd put together and just said, and you won't see that. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just work it through for you quickly. But the way they do it in the school then is they say, what was the plan at creation when God created the earth? What was the plan? What happened as a result of the fall? Then there's redemption. How is that going to be redeemed? And lastly, what will it look like, like when it's been restored? What will be the final picture? And so what, what, what is God's original intention? And what are the essential questions then that need to be asked? We won't spend too much time on this, but I just want to give you an idea of, of how they do it. Next picture. Next one, if we can pull up the next slide. Uh, nope, I don't know where those got muddled up. Um, okay, not to worry, yeah, that's the one. Uh, this, is, this is God's heart at creation. What, what does God say about whatever? And then what happened as a result of the fall? And then how are we going to redeem that? So here's, here's a question, and this was the, the one we, you know, Gavin just chatted about and we, we looked at. Um, what was, it's an economics class, seventh graders, what is the biblical worldview of debt? Um, and at creation, what was God's plan? I, I would suggest no debt because debt's a terrible thing. I don't think God ever planned us to have debt at all. So that was creation's plan. At the fall... Of course, there are consequences, as we said, and access to credit then becomes available. It's a, and it's an open door to temptation because you can now borrow something that, that feeds your greed. And people exploit others through excessive interest rates. And so this is a whole thing. People borrow according to their material wants, and they go beyond their needs and means, and they remain in poverty, often to the detriment of the families. So it's all on credit cards, and you've seen it. I don't have to explain it to you. And people can't get out of that debt, and they're held captive. Proverbs says, Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. And most of America are now slaves to the banking system, as, a, as is the case in, in many countries. And back home, it's the same for us. How do we redeem that? Well, there are biblical guidelines for sound financial management and, and relationships and planning and ensuring economic stability, giving everyone fair opportunity for a decent quality of life. They're there. Those principles are there. They allow people to become financially independent, and it's never designed for unfair personal gain by somebody over somebody else. Those are the biblical principles. Deuteronomy 15.4, there will be no poor among you, He's speaking to the Israelites now, okay, not, not to the whole world in that sense, but there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and you shall lend, listen, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. That was part of the blessing. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. And it goes down in verse 7, says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor, so it doesn't ignore the fact that that happens, in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. 
Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For they will never cease to be poor in the land. Remember we asked the other night, you know, Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. Well, he said, there'll always be some who are poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. So there was always the possibility. Here's first prize, no debt at all. Second prize is if somebody needs a loan, that we would make that available to them. But we should, as Christians, I believe, not get into debt if possible. <clears throat> and if you do... It needs to be so that you can get out of it and get away from what your problem is. Matthew 5.42 says, Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now then, get to the next one. That's the redemptive part of it. What is the fulfillment? What does it look like? Well, a life free of financial bondage. That's got to be what we aim for, all of us. We must try to get our kids to live by uh, Romans 13, 18 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Now, if you do have a loan, then you get to the end of the month and you owe the bank and you pay them, then you don't owe them anymore. You know, that's, we need to understand that that's a possibility. But if you're borrowing on a credit card with exorbitant and extortionist you know, interest rates and things on it, that, that is, we should never be there. We really should not be there. Have as little debt as possible, if you've got to have debt, and have debt only to become financially independent. Have debt for as short a time as possible and do not pay unfair interest. Have we taught seventh graders that? <laughs> and they started early on. Can you, can you understand? And it, it begins to apply to every area of life. You get a generation that's going to live in the fullness and the blessing of God. And we said that's the golden thread as we take it through. It's discipleship, living God's word every day in every way. And, you know, yeah, just a, a wonderful blessing. Joshua 23, verse 6. So be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. Okay? He was the one who gave the template, the one that we're saying, take this template and put it on your life. You can take the template of how finances are looked after, pull it over, and run your, run your, your, your finances on, in that way. We've done it. Um, we live in incredible blessing, and it's only, I believe, because of God's principles. Joshua 23, verse 6. So be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. Do not deviate from it, turning either to the right or to the left. Why? Because God wants us blessed. And he wants us to pass that blessing on. Now, we get back to the Jews who came out of Israel. They are now on the edge of the, Josh, of the Jordan River, and they go through and they enter the land. And God says to them, now you're going to have to plant. You're going to sow and reap. You're going to have to make your clothes. You're going to have to, you know, life's changed. You've got to learn now what the principles are. And the principles were given to Moses, by and large, for them to live by. They were in captivity for about 400 years. And 400 years after they crossed that, that river, the, the, the Jordan River, the Queen of Sheba arrives in Israel to visit. And Solomon is king. And it says, Solomon had answers. 1 Kings 10 verse 3. Solomon had answers. I think you've got the. Can we go back to the one back? Solomon had answers for all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba realized how very wise Solomon was, and when she saw the palace he had built, she was overwhelmed. She was also amazed at the food on his tables. Food, by the way, that they'd grown. It wasn't picked up off the ground anymore. The organization of his officials, their splendid clothing, which they'd obviously made. 
the cupbearers and the burnt offerings Solomon, uh, Solomon made at the temple of the Lord. She exclaimed to the king, everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. If ever there was a nation that approached the place of being discipled in the ways of God, of being a nation that is fulfilling the full discipleship that I said, what would a nation look like when it is fully discipled? It, it has to be here. It has to be in that moment when, when they realized the incredible thing that God had done through the principles and how they'd lived by them. So this next slide, the, the historic confusion then of the roles in the church that go back, as I said, to, I believe, right back to the Greek uh, philosophy, this dualism, this sacred-secular divide we've talked about. It, it gets further conf confused by what is called and known as the priesthood of all believers, which actually says that we are all priests, but causes people to think that I have to be a priest in order to serve Jesus. And so I need to become a pastor in order to be something of value in the kingdom. And that's one of Satan's lies, because that's been propagated over and over. And so many people have said to me, I, you know, I want to serve the Lord, and therefore I'm going to become a pastor. And I, and I think, but you're just such a good whatever they are. And I want us to understand that we are equal in value and worth, but we're different in function. We, we, we are loved equally. God honors us and he, he really does value us the same. But we just got different functions in the kingdom. And I want us just to look at one of those situations right back in Exodus. Exodus 31 verse 1, where the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the capital, Spirit of God, Old Testament, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft, anointed with the Spirit of God to do that. So the big lie that Satan has sown into the church is if you're going to serve Jesus and you want to be spiritual and go back to that Greek philosophy, spiritual matters are of higher value, then have nothing to do with the world and become a priest. And in the history, certainly in Europe, keep the priest poor because that's a spiritual value and let the, let the rest of life get on with it. And that's not biblical. It's not Hebrew. It is not an understanding that I believe the writers of the New Testament would want us to have understood at all. None of them, and neither from the Old Testament. And so in Genesis 41, verse 38, it says concerning now Joseph, who becomes the prime minister of Egypt. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Anointed, called, full of the Spirit to become a prime minister. That's his call and his destiny and purpose. And what happens is we end up now with good people trying to be pastors who shouldn't be. <laughs> and they should have stayed doing what they were called to do because God anointed them to do it. So in this room tonight, and whoever's watching on video, some of you are wondering how on earth I serve Jesus. Well, it's part of our destiny and purpose to impact the world through the gifting, anointing, and purpose that God has placed in each one of us. I know certainly when I was in the medical profession, I touched more unchurched and, and, uh, and, and um, people who were not born again, non-Christians, I touched them in my medical practice far more than I've ever done in, in my pastoral ministry. Um, and I'm very grateful to have been able to serve the Lord in, in this situation, but um, we, we need to understand that 
a biblical worldview is a very broad understanding of a kingdom that impacts every domain in life. And so Saul got the domains confused, and I'm going to draw to a close now, but Saul became confused when he applied his governmental anointing to a, in our modern terms, would be a church setting, but, the, but in, into, the, into the setting of the sacrifices, which was not his domain and not his authority. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 12, it, he's, he said to Samuel, when Samuel said to him, why did you do the, the offering? Why did you do the, the, the uh, you know, you, you, you did the offering on, on behalf of the priests. That was, that's their role. That's what they're anointed to do. And he said, I felt obliged to offer the burnt offering uh, myself before you came. And Samuel said to him, how foolish. You have a, you've disobeyed the command of the Lord your God. Had you obeyed, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your dynasty must end for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. What do we learn from that? We learn that there are different rules that scripture gives for different domains. The rule for business is that business creates goods and services that make life better for people and serve people in that way. The church, when it comes to money, operates by giving and receiving. And so those principles are different. You, you can't take the one and slap it on the other. The domain of political, of the political arena should be influenced by the church, but we are not the government. And we need to hold the high moral values and hold them accountable so that they're held accountable to the people. Dem democratic voting is an option. God gave, it's interesting, the kings were appointed by the people. God didn't appoint them. He said, Here's a, you know, this is the guy who can be the king. But he was never king. David was never king. Neither was Saul until the people said, you're the king. When it came to the church, it was very different, or to the ecclesiastical order, if you like, in the Old Testament. The priests were appointed by God. They were called by him. He, he said who they were. Now, it's interesting in the New Testament, a lot of that follows because the fivefold gifting is appointed by God. You can't go to learn it and you can't. It's, it's either God gave it or he didn't. But business operates differently and certainly secular government operates dif differently. So if you're going to choose secular government, God's saying, well, the people choose. And the democratic process is not a bad way of doing it, but it's certainly not perfect. <laughs> I mean, you see what happens in this nation. You see what happens in every nation across the world. It can be an absolute disaster. So he felt that he could do it because he was the government, he was the king, and he lost, he lost his, his reign, and, his, and God cut him, and his, you know, his offspring were cut off as a result of that. Let's end it. So, here are, here are some different domains. They may not be all of the ones that we need to look at, but there is, there is fivefold gifting that belongs in the church. There is secular government. We got that slide to put it up. There's family. Aha, okay. Fivefold gifting, secular government, family, health, education, communications and media, arts and culture, science and technology, and business and economics. And there may be others. It doesn't matter that we get the number exactly right, but the reality is that God has spoken into all of those areas. He's certainly spoken into family. He, there, are, there are principles as to how you should run your family, which are in Scripture. And if you do it, it works. We've lived it. And same with finances, same with all of the other things. So... Here we are as the church, and we've got all of these domains. And on Monday morning, um, if we can start with the next one. On Monday morning, someone goes to work. And out they go. Bring it up. There we go. 
They go into government on Monday morning and they make rules and they draw up laws. And just quickly to say this, back in South Africa, we have a Christian brother who was part of Church of the Nations, by the way, who was in government. He was in a minority party. But when they came to make rules, nobody knew what to do. Uh, he was a lawyer. He'd been appointed, he'd been voted in, one of only two parliamentarians of that party. But he got to be in the portfolio committee, which draws up the rules and makes the law. And in that situation, he was one of 17, several times. So now he gets into a room as a Christian with a biblical worldview, as a lawyer, making laws, and nobody else knows what to do. So he begins to help them. But he doesn't beat them on the head with the Bible because he's much wiser than that. He begins to quote statistics, which if you look at the statistics, it will always prove Scripture true. So processes this and eventually has a massive impact on the legal system and the law that is written about a particular subject, though he's in a minority party and just because he had a biblical worldview, he knew what the scripture said and he knew what needed to be written so that people would best be served by that law. That's what he does on a Monday morning. Next one, there are some people who are involved in family, whether it's in, you know, in different ways in family, but as, as a mom, I always say to, to moms, the reality is your greatest job at the moment is to raise your family and... Uh, and, and, you know, dad's the same thing. That's, it's critical. Next one, someone goes off to the hospital, someone is a physiotherapist, somebody's a nurse, and they go and work in that domain. Next one, someone is in education, someone in communications and media. Somebody's a journalist. The journalists move the nation. If you have a biblical worldview and you're writing the articles, you've got incredible power to change worldview. Okay, arts and culture, the same thing. The, the art will often speak to people and to the nation. All right, next one. Science and technology and business and economics. And that, if we do the last slide, is what church is about. And that's how we, each one of us, are meant to be involved. May the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, may the Lord empower you to be the best you that you can possibly be, and may you live in the fullness of the abundance of the King of Kings, and may his kingdom advance till he comes. Amen. God bless you.